treated them with love and decency and honor simply because they were people. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to the Recovering Hypocrite Podcast. I am, as always, your host and the chief recovering hypocrite around these parts, Noel Jesse Hakenin. And I want to welcome you to what I think is the 40th episode. Now, I my math might be off, but I went back and counted because for a while I was doing seasons and then in the middle I was doing these quarantined episodes and I have had a terrible, I've been terrible about actually counting. So I think I'm going to just officially call this one the 40th episode and from now on we're actually going to have episode numbers. We'll see how that goes. And the reason I was counting um, was because of the guests that I have on today. Karen Eamon is our guest today and she has the notable distinction of having had been the sixth guest on this podcast way back in March of 2019. Uh, she came on to talk about marriage. But Karen is, that means, the first return guest that I've ever had on this. And I wanted to see how far we'd gone. So Karen, welcome back, I could actually say to this one. 34, 34 episodes ago, I was here then, huh? Yeah. If we're counting. Well, okay. and so at 34 doesn't seem very long, but that was at least one pandemic ago. <laughs> yes, it was. A couple years and one pandemic. And so, so here's what I want to do. So so having had a little bit of experience doing this for a while now, uh, I want to change things up a little bit. I'm going to change them up with you. If it doesn't work, you know, I'll never do it again, but you can be a good uh, guinea pig. And then with other people, see. but I, what I'd like to do is to welcome you back. What I'd like to do is to, I'm going to uh, share three publicly available uh, biographical details of your life. And then what I'd like you to do is to share three either unknown or little known biographical details or facts about your life. And so uh, I'll give you a little bit of time to think about that while I give the three publicly available details. Karen is a New York Times bestselling author of 15 books, I think. Did I get the number right? 15 yep. books. She is, this is fact number two, a member at Riverview, the church where I serve as a pastor. And that's public details because, you know, you told everybody 34 episodes ago. Um, and third, you are married to your college sweetheart, Todd, with three kids. And so those are the publicly available details. Now tell everybody three un or little known facts about yourself. Okay. Uh, once upon a time, I was a sports reporter in high school on the radio for WJIM radio. And my goal back then was I wanted to be the first major league baseball report, female Reporter. Get out, really? But, yeah, but it didn't. It didn't so what, what? Wait, we have to talk about this for a second. So, what point did you bail on that dream? When I uh, let's see, I went to college and I did study journalism the first year, and then I switched to sociology. Okay. And uh, I probably well, I was offered a reporter job straight out of college, but I didn't take it. Uh, instead, I was a substitute teacher, which was is my second. Okay, second. there it is. But, Yes, my second little uh, unknown fact is that for five years, I was a substitute teacher in three different school districts, and it still to this day was my absolute favorite job I ever had. Really? I loved it. I, I loved it. I'm a, I'm a winger, so I would get there, and if there were no lesson plans, I didn't care. I would make something <laughs> up. My husband was a youth pastor at the time. I probably had you in class, Noel. Well, that, that's possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you were at the high it school. Would it would not have been your favorite career had you been Maybe my not. substitute teacher. <laughs> Maybe not. But I would always volunteer for the classes no other subs wanted. I didn't care if it was woodshop or band or orchestra. I would I would do it. And I loved it. My husband was a youth pastor at the time. I got along great with the kids. I was young. I was only 22 when I did it. Um, but it was still, it's still 
was my favorite job I ever had. Awesome. That's that's unknown fact number two. What's your little known fact number three? It's actually a little known fact, but it's a hidden talent. Oh, a stupid trick. Oh, stupid human trick, oh. maybe. I I haven't done it in a while, but I think I can still do it. I can say all of the 50 states of the United States of America in alphabetical order in less than 30 seconds. Oh, okay. Well, now I got to get out my uh, timer here. Just oh, to, no. No, no. We're, you said 30 seconds, so we're going <laughs> to actually time this here. So where is my stopwatch? Okay. Ready? As soon as you go, I'll hit start. And so, so you know I'm not cheating. I'm going to close my eyes. Yeah, so you know no, I'm not reading. That's okay. And, and, just so, and of course, this is audio, so no one's going to know. But I'm watching you on video. So yes. Okay. So here we go. As soon as you start, I'll hit start. Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Georgia, Florida, Hawaii, Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina, North Dakota, Ohio, oh, oh, Ohio, Florida, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, West Virginia, Wisconsin, Wyoming. 24 seconds, even with oh. your 24.07. Even with the my record is 21. So I said 30 to give myself a push. But you know how I know that is because I know those because they were a song in fifth grade, the 50 nifty United States. I've never forgotten it. That is absolutely amazing that you <laughs> would remember it from then. So there you go. I, I'm actually very glad we did this. Maybe I'll keep this with future guests. We'll see how it goes. Now, the reason I invited you on here is not uh, just because you're a lot of fun and, uh, and but you, you, commented something on social media a couple weeks ago and I reached out to you. Uh, you made a comment that you have a new book coming out uh, called Reach Out, Gather In 40 Days to Opening Your Heart and Your Home. And when I saw that, my first reaction was, oh no. So because I, we know how this publishing thing works, that you write books way in advance. So you have a book coming out in October about hospitality in your home. During yes. a pandemic? Yes, but it's, thankfully... It's, it's, I had to talk to you about this because I think I know. this is I crazy. I know. I knew you would pick up on that right away. But thankfully, it's about opening your heart and your home. And the first part of the book talks more about opening your heart to people who are marginalized, who are left out, and, and really being on the lookout, noticing those people who least expect to be seen. And I give a ton of ideas. There's actually one section in it about doing hospitality on the road drive-bys and drop-offs and things you can do through the mail. So whew, on that one, it isn't just about. Okay. So, so, so you've got 40 days. So if someone is a really slow reader and they can make this 400 days, maybe the last 200 <laughs> days, they could knock it out post pandemic. So for the listeners sake who are not involved in publishing, how long ago did you write the first manuscript of this book? Was it completely pre-COVID or when was it? No, actually, what's very funny is this is a publisher. I did do a couple books with them when I was first getting started, but I haven't been with this publisher in forever. And they reached out to me back in November of last year, early December, okay. and said, would you ever want to do a book? And I said, ah, the only place I can fit it in is really fast. So I actually wrote this book in January, in, <laughs> um, in a month. I wrote it in a month. I wrote it in January. I turned it in the first week of February, right as kind of you were starting to hear talk about covid um, and then I did do the edits in May when we were thick in the, the middle of it. So I did write like a little forward that has to yeah. do with social distancing and stuff. Well, I think I'm trying to remember somebody posted recently, I think it was Stephen King or something said that no matter how long your book is, I don't know why I'm thinking it was Stephen King. You, you should write it in three months. 
And I think that's wild because most people take a ton of time. But if I think about it for me, my books are always written that fast. I mean, I, yeah. I may be thinking about them for a really long time, but I write them within a window like that. Yes, I do too. I kind of black out everything else in my life and just focus in because you're kind of in the groove. Your mindset's there. And I don't do well at toggling between tasks. I like to just focus and do one thing till it's done. Yeah. So, so this is almost yeah. perfect then because what I'd love to talk about is this idea of what is just, you know, I, I, assuming when you talk about opening your heart in your home, this is a book about hospitality. But really, yes. what is hospitality in a biblical sense? I'd like to talk about that and then kind of move to talking about how you thought about that during the COVID season as you're writing this and editing this book. So so from a biblical sense, people always think about hospitality as, oh, I invite my neighbors over to watch the Super Bowl party, right? Um, but from a biblical sense, what is it? Well, the original term in the Greek is a combination of two terms that means love, or that combines the word love of and strangers. So originally, like if you really dial it back, it's the love of strangers. So in the ancient culture in the New Testament, you, people often had a guest room on their house for people that were traveling through. There weren't a lot of Holy Land Holiday Inns, you know, dotting the landscape back then. So people would have strangers into their homes. So a lot of the verses we read talk about that word hospitality. That's the combination of love of strangers. But then I really kind of broaden it from there. There are a lot of places that we're told to, you know, um, love the saints and care for the needs of the saints. So a lot of it has to do with people in the church. And then I do have a whole section too that talks about loving your family because, you know, I know for me, when I really first started out wanting to be somebody that practices biblical hospitality, I kind of pulled out all the stops for people that were coming over to my house, but I kind of neglected my family. Like I didn't want them to remember me pulling off fancy meals for other people, but feeding them peanut butter and jelly all the time. So I talk about your family too, but it, it, at the base of it, it's love of strangers, but there's also a lot that that talks to you about especially loving those brothers and sisters of Christ. So my assumption is when you're making a statement like, uh, you know, a 40 day journey or uh, whatever the exact wording was uh, through your heart and home, that, mm -hmm. that, that was written in order intentionally that you're starting yes. with your heart and moving to your home. So talk about that a little bit. Yes. So one little tip I just give when, people think of hospitality of opening their heart to other people. They think, well, I mean, I'm a nice person. What are you talking about? What do you mean opening your heart? But by opening your heart, I mean really being on the lookout for people that need your love and care and welcoming them into your life. And one just simple tip, tip if you want to know where to start is I talk about going and finding your old self. And by that, I mean, were you once a single parent trying to raise kids by yourself and you faced an unwanted mm. divorce and God brought you through yeah. it? in that situation and do what you can do to lighten their load. I think so often we, we tend to think that our life is, you know, not going great. Circumstances aren't going how we'd like them to. Oh, poor me. It's because we have our eyes on the wrong people. We're looking at people who have life better off than us, but we should be on the lookout for someone who surely doesn't have life better off than us and doing something to make their day and to make them feel welcome. You know, hospitality is all about making someone feel wanted and welcomed. It doesn't have to always be in your home. So I like to say, go find your old self. And for me, that is children of divorce. I was raised in a divorced family um, with a father who was abusive, who then came back to the Lord and recently passed away. Um, so we had a great relationship, probably the last 20 years of his life. 
but I was in a situation that I just thought was horrible and I just wanted out. And now I can see present day, how the Lord uses me and the lives of a lot of my kids' friends who are going through the same thing. I can look them in the eye and say, I, I know exactly how you feel. And I can make them feel wanted and welcomed and loved by going and finding my old self. Mm. You know, if you think about the Great Commission in Matthew 28, when Jesus makes this great call to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, um, a lot of times people think, oh, that disciple-making thing is for, at best, um, vocational pastors and professional Christians, <laughs> I guess, and at worst, at least a mature person, right? Or so, somewhere on the scale of super mature. But, but even what you're saying there, the whole idea of there are always people, and I hate to say it this way, but that are behind you who have not quite gotten where you <laughs> are that you can bring to where you are. So in discipleship, you can bring people to where you are. You don't have to bring them to where Mother Teresa is or Karen Eman, right? You just have to bring them to where you are. And I love that idea of looking back and, and, and because everyone, everyone's like, I don't know how to do that. Well, yes, you do, because you know what you needed then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it makes me think of that verse. And I'm, I'm, I'm notorious for knowing what a verse says, but don't remember exactly. Yeah, what it says. yeah, me too. But the verse me too. about that's how... my spiritual gift is <laughs> yeah. is misquoting how... scripture rant, paraphr- <laughs> by paraphrasing it. Yeah, I call them sort of scriptures. <laughs> They're like sort of scriptures, like I sort of know where it is. But anyway, the the verse that t- maybe you'll know where the where this is, and I'll probably think of it the minute we hang up. But uh, the verse that talks about how God comforts us in our troubles, so that we and then in turn can comfort others with the the comfort we've received from Him. And I I think about that all the time about Somebody that I'm, I'm trying to reach out to, I think, wow, I used to be them. I used to be them. And, you know, God met me. God sent people. God himself got me through it. And the least I can do is try to help someone else along. Yeah. So you, you, you talked about strangers a, a little bit. And even in that um, description you just gave, strangers. But then you were talking about believers. You, you kind of, the three categories you gave earlier were strangers, uh, one another's, like believers, and your family. Yes. So so. Um, how does this play out with other believers? And I'm going to call it specifically in this COVID era. Like right now, this idea of opening your heart and your home, how do we think about this when A, some of us are quarantined, B, some of us think this whole thing is ridiculous, um, C, everyone has different comfort levels, and it almost seems like people are isolating more, Um sometimes out of necessity, sometimes out of just caution. Like, how do you, how do you open your heart and home to other believers during this crazy season? You know, I think the most simple thing that I've done that I've seen worked is to just let people know they're not forgotten because so often we're closed up inside our house. You know, we're not doing our normal things. We're not going to the movies. We're not going to baseball games. You're not, you know, whatever. We're not connecting with people. And it's easy to feel overlooked and forgotten. And I've just, I did this this morning. I just reached out to someone who I've been thinking about her for the last couple of days. Somehow God's had her on my mind. And I just wanted to see how she was doing. So I simply just sent a text and said, Hey, you know, I know we're in the middle of this crazy pandemic, but you've been on my mind. How are you doing? You know, are you adjusting to your new normal? I just want to let you know that I love you and you're not forgotten. And she texted me back that she was bawling. She said all she needed to know was another human being like cared because she's trying to school these little kids at home when she's not used to doing that. She has a part-time home job. I mean, she's just overwhelmed. And just to know that that buzz of her phone told her 
that somebody's thinking about her and she's not forgotten and that she's loved really, really helped. You know, it's, I wonder if even just the old idea of letter writing or note writing, one of the things that I've been doing during the season is I, I ordered a bunch more note cards and I've just been every day trying to write one to five notes and snail mailing to somebody. Because I was thinking about the, the reason I started doing this is I used to do this all the time. I had a former assistant who would come to my house and say, you need to send three or four thank you cards. And I'd say, yes, ma'am. And I'd send them. Um, and so I used to do that periodically. But I was thinking about the fact that everybody's rushing out to their mail to get their Amazon packages every day anyway. It's like this little contact to the outside world. And all I'm getting is political mail. And so I'm getting political mail and I'm getting Amazon packages. And I thought, you know, it would be great to just, you know, so I just started writing cards, just dropping cards in the mail. And I just think that that takes you almost no time. But think about how you'd feel just getting a random card in the mail. Someone say, hey, I'm praying for you. Love you. Just want to say I'm thankful for you. Whatever. Just a couple of sentences. I love it. Love it. Yeah. Wow. So my address, um, you know, I'll, I'll Google it. Um, so, <laughs> hey, so I'm going to change gears here. So speaking of your, your address. So uh, at our church, one of the things we're doing right now is what we do. We're calling Riv Communities. Where we're encouraging people to uh, watch church with whatever community that they have, because we're still doing the online church thing. And how are you guys doing that? I, just as we're thinking about community, is it your immediate family? Are you doing neighbors, life group? How are you guys engaging with the church family right now? Mostly in person with just family members, our son and his wife attend. And so sometimes we will get together to watch church. And then we've just kind of thrown our, or uh, dipped our toe into the life group leader. We've done it at other churches, but we've only been at Riv five years. And um, we are meeting with the leadership to have our own life group in our home. That's great. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah, really looking forward to it. It's been kind of fun to see people trying to figure out how to gather. I've seen people have been sending me their pictures. Sometimes they're out on a back porch together. Um, There's one group that does a cookout every Sunday. And so who knows how long that's going to last because winter should be here in two or three days. Um, Right. But, you know, it's been kind of fun to see people (laughs) trying to get creative. And so now transition to family. So I'm just because you you mentioned those three earlier right now in the COVID season, (laughs) while some some families are stuck with one another and some families who are used to gathering are apart from one another. How do we uniquely think about opening our heart and home with family during the season where we're either around each other too much or not nearly enough? Yeah, the ones that were not nearly enough, that's been hard. That's been really hard. Now, our daughter lives in North Carolina with her husband. She actually got married during the pandemic. It was supposed to be a family-only elopement in Spain, and instead she got married in her friend's backyard. Um, right hopefully hopefully her friend lives in Spain. No, no. Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> but she came home and quarantined with us at the very beginning. She owns a hair salon, and she had to, to shut it down. And so it was, it was nice having her home. But once she went back... It was hard because I'm not seeing her. And so, yeah, I'm trying to do things, check in, or I'm trying to just let the U.S. mail deliver little treats and surprises sometimes, you know, uh, sending her a note card, just like you were speaking about, with tucked in with a favorite um, envelope, what I want to say, bag of tea, her favorite kind of tea. I'll tuck that in the, the note card and try to do those little touches maybe through the mail for those people that are far away, just give them a little surprise in their day whether it's a, a card or a little, um, some kind of little surprise or whatever. And then for the people in our home, we've actually done pretty well. Our youngest son was living in Australia and he had to come home 
Uh, he's 22 and he had to come home. So he's working a job and my husband, he was laid off for a little while and I work from home, but he's back to work now. But I will say <laughs> it's been different, especially when our daughter was home quarantined and my husband was off work. Our son came home from Australia and all of a sudden there were four people in my house when I'm used to there only being two. Right. Um, so we've said a lot to each other. I love you. I just don't like you right now. Can you go to another room? <laughs> well, but, you know, but in another way, though, it's been kind of interesting because my 22 year old son and I, we've started watching things with each other on television. We probably never would have. Huh. Like he's a big UFC fighter guy. And I, like people punching each other. No way. I am. That is not Christian. <laughs> it is not Christian. Of course, then the first time he begged me to sit down and watch it with him. Some guy, one who was a Christian, and started quoting scripture every once, so tried to prove me wrong. But I sat down with him and watched UFC, and he's sat down with me and watched, um, oh, some silly reality. Okay, okay, I watched the Tiger King. I'm just gonna say, just gonna admit it. So we're sitting here talking about what's not Christian. Um, so, so <laughs> true story. Um, I was invited by a guy who goes to Riv years ago to a, he was an MMA fighter and he wanted uh, me to come watch him fight. And so he, he wasn't like a professional, mixed, but he was, he, he did the, the whole thing in the octagon and everything. So I, I went to watch him fight. It was in a parking lot uh, of an establishment on South Lansing. It was in the Hooters parking lot. Let's just be honest. Oh, it was in the, no, it was no, in the Hooters parking lot in South Lansing. Oh, so no. went to this fight and he got up to uh, fight and he was a beast and emblazoned on the back of his fighting shorts was rivchurch.com. And so while he was You're bent kidding. over punching the daylights out of this guy on the ground, just beating him to a pulp, at least we got a good billboard right there. There you go. <laughs> oh, my word. That is hilarious. And hopefully nobody has whipped their phone out and snapped a picture well, of Pastor Noel well, Hooters. Hey, Pastor Noel Hooters, but I was there with the billboard. The, the billboard for our That's church. True. So and it was in the parking lot. So, um, but but I, I do think, you know, that whole idea of finding right now, the common things you can do, just you know, the watching the shows, either virtually or in person, uh, watching those same shows with people and things like that. We, our family got hooked on a, on a show that, that it was a Korean show uh, that released one episode every Friday and one episode every Saturday for like two months. And so that became our family thing that we sat down and so we would watch those those two episodes every week. And it was just like with all the rest of our crazy lives and running around and then all of us being together constantly, it was the one moment we just got to sit down and enjoy something with each other. And those little times do just bond you with people. Mm -hmm. They do. They really do. So... Rolling forward, I'm so I'm thinking in my mind, your book comes out October, October 20th. Yes. Assuming somebody pre-orders the book, gets it on that day, starts reading it. They're going to be reading the book through the end of Thanksgiving, beginning of December. And from all indications, we're going to still be mid-COVID, mid, you know, post-election, mid-COVID, oh. pre-Christmas. And Christmas is going to be a season. Thanksgiving, Christmas are going to be different, no matter how you try to imagine it, it's going to be different. Any thoughts toward walking into this holiday season in a COVID era, 
and loving our neighbors, loving our communities, loving strangers and one another during the holiday season? You know, it's so hard with people who are polar opposites of you, whether it's politically or how they handle COVID or, or whatever. Um, but I've had to really just kind of learn to zip my lips. I'd like to give my unsolicited opinion a time or two. <laughs> and I've had to, to stop that. And also to realize that um, I don't want this already, uh, you know, I hate the word unprecedented but it will, if it's um, time where people already are on edge, I don't want to add to that by being snarky or by, you know, being sarcastic or dropping little subtle uh, digs at people politically or, or whatever when it comes to the pandemic. So I've really tried to pray before I'm going to encounter somebody. I try to, to snoop around on social media if I haven't been with them in a while, a family member, and just see how I, I interpret that they are handling the pandemic. So then I know whether or not when I go to their house, I should show up with a mask or not. Because I have some family members, if I showed up at their house with a mask, they'd go, what are you doing? Take that off. This is a political property, you know, and they'd go down that road. And others, if I knocked on their front door and I didn't have one on, they wouldn't want to let me in. So I try to just defer to them and, and go to whatever their level of comfort is when it comes to the pandemic. And that's actually worked really well. And I think it's, it's showing love. I think you said this from the pulpit. I got it from you. You know, it's showing love to our neighbor when we... We try to, to take into consideration their feelings, their fears, their level of comfort. And as far as politically, I just have to always tell myself, you know, Jesus hung out with all different kinds of people. And it doesn't matter where people are on the political spectrum. Um, he treated them with love and decency and honor simply because they were people, not because of how they believed. And I need to do the same thing because... You know, and we, we always laugh in our family. Why even go to the polls? We're going to cancel each other out anyway. There's like four that are going to vote one way. Well, actually, we're not going to. Four are going to vote one way. Three are going to vote the other way. I'm going third party. I'm going with Jake from State. Wouldn't he make a great president? I'm just kidding. But anyway, but just to, to treat people with love and dignity just because they're people. It doesn't matter what they believe. You know, someday in heaven, we're not going to be asked who did we vote for in 2020. I mean, and not that you shouldn't be very careful and prayerful about who you vote for. I'm not saying that at all. But so often we, we take who someone's voting for and then we either say, oh, that proves they're a Christian or it eliminates them from ever having the possibility to be, to be a Christian. And that is not the case. And what's more important is are we still showing love and honor to that person and respect? Well, you know, it's funny because if you think about it, uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving for a lot of people are difficult times, even though for a lot of us, it's just a wonderful, joyful time. For some people, it's difficult because of those political differences, which are certainly going to be exasperated during this season, um, both uh, no matter which way the election goes and with COVID, no matter which way COVID goes, um, it's going to be exasperated. And I, you know, you mentioned the Jesus loving people from all political parties. I mean, he had a disciple who was a zealot, which means he was an anti-the-man guy, like trying to take down the Roman Empire. And then he had a guy who was a tax collector, which means he worked for the government that Jesus, yes. that the other guy was trying to take down, and we have no record. Now, we don't know if Jesus taught them, or not maybe Jesus taught them about that. We have no record of a conversation about that. We have no record that says that Jesus told them to stop doing those things. We don't know if they continued on as quote unquote tent makers as a zealot and a tax collector. We don't know. 
What we do know is that their allegiance to Jesus was greater than their allegiance to these political parties. And I love the heart of what you said there, kind of the Pauline, uh, all things to all men, the idea of snooping on someone's social media, not to get ticked off, but to find out how you can love them. And mm-hmm. I wonder if that's one of the keys to this season right now is snoop on people's lives to figure out how to love them. Mm-hmm. Let's let's figure out how to do that. So that's awesome. All right. So well, go ahead. No, go, go. I was just to say, and I just think it speaks volumes to the world. Um, and I don't want to get on too much of a soapbox here, but a little one, like just like a, th- like a three inch high one. Um, but it, I think it speaks volumes to the world when they see Christians loving beyond political parties. We, we recently moved to a, a, a different town, but from in our old town, the town we came from, we had next door neighbors who could not be more politically opposite than we were. They were an older couple in their seventies and, and we were still raising our kids. We had middle schoolers and teenagers at the time. And we were so close to them. We would not only borrow a cup of sugar, they would let our son borrow their kayak. I would make them some of my, my famous strawberry jam every summer. And we, we were like family but we never ever voted for the same people. And we never really talked about it. We would laugh with them too. Like, let's just stay home. We're gonna cancel each other out anyway. But, but they treated us with love just like we were their own children. And I remember people in the neighborhood being quite puzzled by it. Like, how can you guys even get along? You know, we weren't put yard signs out people. So they weren't exactly sure maybe how we were voting, but they, they certainly were put yard signs out and march and do all the things. And people were just puzzled by the fact that that we got along like family, even though we totally disagreed about a lot of things. I mean, that's the classic Thomas Jefferson quote where he said, I never considered a difference of uh, opinion in politics, in religion, in philosophy as cause from with, for withdrawing from a friend. That's so good. I love that quote. And uh, just, we need a little bit more of that during this season. So, um, okay, so the book uh, that's coming out on October 20th is uh, Reach Out, Gather In, 40 Days to Opening Your Heart and Home. Obviously, you could probably get that anywhere books are sold. Isn't that the old cliche? Yep. Anywhere books are sold. And I think you're airing this in enough time before October 20th that I've got a bunch of freebies, like digital freebies, if they pre-order it, that are like meal plans and recipe ideas and all kinds of fun organizational awesome. in fact, stuff that'll help so is this the is this the first interview you've done on this book? It is. I have to do my best. Well, clearly, the first clearly. One. So awesome. That's great. So I'll put a link in the show notes so they can go uh, find all of that stuff. But here's what I want to do. I want to, since I started with something new, the whole idea of three um, things that people didn't know about you, I want to end with something else new. And again, we'll see if this works. But during this COVID season, I'm finding... It is a bizarre binging season and it's a binging season on like, like media. It's a binging season on podcasts. It's a a binging season on, I don't know, foods that I haven't had in a while. I just, all kinds of things like that. And so I would love if you could share with us one binge worthy something that, that you want to introduce us to that we should consider binging in any category that you wish to, to bring it up. So what, what okay. are you binging on these days or what should we binge on? Well, because of COVID and because of all the screens we have in front of us, because now we are, you know, not leaving our houses. So we're just staring at screens all the time. I started to get a little uh, concerned about how much time I was doing things digitally. And so I started researching a lot what digital is doing to us. And so I'm on my third 
third time during since the, the pandemic of reading this book called Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. Digital Minimalism, Choosing a Focused Life in a Noisy World. And it talks just so much about what our digital habits are doing to us and why we're so addicted to our phones. It's, um, he, t- he talks about it being a digital slot machine. Hmm. You go to that phone every time thinking, oh, what am I going to get? That's why mine is Twitter. Like I, if you would have asked me how often I'm on Twitter, I'd say, oh, I like check it for 10 minutes a night. I look at all kinds of news outlets, all left-leaning, right-leaning, right up the middle. I just checked Twitter like 20 minutes a night. Well, I went into my phone settings. No, average of 47 minutes a night, I was on Twitter before I went to bed. Mm. It's like a slap machine. I keep scrolling going, oh, maybe the next article will be good. Maybe the next one will be good. So he talks about that and, um, and all the apps and all and just all the time we spend and the draw of it and how we're putting our phones above people. And I just want to read one quote. He said, um, when he's talking about um, being addicted to it, he said this, Philip Morris just wanted your lungs. The app store wants your soul. Oof. Isn't that good? So, good? so anyway, I'm reading a lot. I've made a lot of changes in how I use my phone. It goes off at five o'clock. Well, it goes on do not disturb. So only my family can call me after five o'clock. Um, a lot of habits I've changed, but I've read this book three times. So basically you, you've binged a single book over and over is what you're telling us. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's so good. Right. It's so well, good. I will put a link to that out there. And by the way, since since I wasn't even going to bring up something on my own, but since you brought this up, this is a great resource. A friend of mine introduced me to this. Do you see this little thing right here? You're on video, so you can see it. Yes. But nobody else could probably see it. What this is, is it's something called Timular. And it is an eight-sided die that is Bluetooth on my computer. And each side represents a sort of task that I'm working on. And what you do is whenever you are working on that task, you flip that part up and the computer automatically detects that you're working on that kind of a task. I'm a time management geek, but when you're talking about how much time am I spending on social media and stuff like that, I know down to the minute how much time I'm spending. So basically this little dice just sits on my desk. And every time I go to, uh, when I go to work on email, I pull up my little email icon right there. Um, When I'm doing message prep, I pull up my message prep icon. And so no matter what I'm working on, I flip the die and then it starts tracking that thing. And and, and so I love time management stuff anyway. So this is helping me fine tune how I spend my time. So I'll put That's a link to that cool. in there too. So there you go. Cool. There you awesome. Go. Well, I appreciate you, Karen. I uh, We've known each other for a very long time, decades. We won't tell anybody how many decades, but <laughs> appreciate you. So thankful for your work and your ministry. So thankful to have you part of our church family. And uh, I'm excited to see what God does with this book uh, in our community and around the world. Hopefully this is another uh, bestseller for you. Well, thank you so much for having me.